All right, I'm going to talk to you, continue to talk to you about the Holy Spirit, life in the Spirit, and today I've entitled the message, The Spirit of Revelation. Billy Graham said that the Holy Spirit illuminates the minds of people, the Holy Spirit makes us yearn for God, and the Holy Spirit takes spiritual truth and makes it understandable to us. He is the revealer. And so as we continue this series, I want to talk to you today about what the Holy Spirit reveals, because part of his work inside of us is to prompt and to guide us in the ways of God. And so there are some important things that he reveals to us as we are walking in the Spirit so that we'll uh, understand what he wants and how to live our lives. If you're physically able to do so, why don't you stand with me this morning as we honor God's word, beginning in verse 6 of 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul writes and says, Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret hidden wisdom of God which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Time out. Look at me for just a second. Do you understand that verse, what he just said there? He said, if uh, really the powers of darkness, uh, the power of this world, had have understood what crucifying Jesus meant, they would have never done it. That tells you something, by the way, that the devil isn't omniscient. He doesn't know all things. If he had known the consequences, they wouldn't have crucified the Lord. But there's a different kind of wisdom that we have. All right, verse 9. But it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has, here it is, revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God, For who knows a person's thought except the spirit, small s, of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly or foolishness to him, and he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Father, thank you for reminding us of what it is the Spirit does to reveal who you are, the deep truths And uh, Father, to guide and direct our lives, I pray that we'll understand even more what it means to walk in the Spirit as we look at your Word today. So speak to us, we pray. And Lord, for those of our parents and young people away this morning in retreat, we pray that you'll speak to them this morning and bless them and keep them safe on their journeys home this afternoon. Now again, Lord, we're listening to you, and we pray that your Spirit with your Word will speak clearly to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. And you may be seated. Now, in this passage, it's all about spiritual maturity. I mean, uh, Paul even talks about the mature in, the, uh, in verse 6. Yet among the mature, we do not impart wisdom. Uh, or, or we impart wisdom. It's a wisdom not of this world. It's a wisdom that comes uh, from God. This is, passage is about those who are spiritually mature, and it connects maturity with life in the Spirit. 
What Paul is trying to do is he's trying to help these people grow up in Christ. He's trying to help them mature in their their faith. He's trying to keep them from remaining baby Christians. It's a spiritual tragedy, I, I think, that so many Christians today never advance beyond being toddlers in their faith. They remain spiritually immature, and consequently, they miss out on the power of God being manifested through the Spirit of God in their lives. And so Paul wanted them, and by extension, because it's God's Word, us to experience what it really means to live life in the Spirit. And that comes, of course, by the revelation that the Spirit makes uh, in, in our life. There's a humorous birthday card that says this, you're only young once but you can be immature forever. Well, for many Christians, immaturity is the norm. It shouldn't be this way. And that's what Paul is trying to do. He's trying to move them forward, and he knows the only way that can happen is as they are surrendered to the leadership of the the Spirit of God. In fact, if you were to turn over, why don't you do this? Look over in uh, the next chapter. And verse 1, follow along with me for just a second. Notice what Paul writes to these believers. And he's writing to at least confessing believers. We're not sure about Corinth and uh, on every level, but, but they were the church. And he's writing to this church, and he says this, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people. Think about that. He's writing to the church, and he says, I can't address you as spiritual people. But as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now, you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. He said, I couldn't address you like spiritually mature people, which is what you should be. He says, I, can, I have to address you as people in the flesh. In fact, the word here we, is sometimes translated carnal. Uh, And it means to, uh, look, there's no distinctive difference between a Christian who is carnal or in the flesh uh, uh, compared to one who doesn't even know God. And Paul said, I had to address you like mere men because there's no distinctive difference. The Spirit of God makes a distinctive difference in our life when He is controlling uh, our life. And uh, And so He says to us here, look, you're immature. I want to tell you this, all of us will live Uh, below the level of maturity that Christ desires for us if we are not walking in the power of the Spirit, all right? And so he's trying to help them, he's trying to help them get this. You know, there's a big difference between an airplane and every other form of transportation. Think about it. It's a big difference between a plane and a horse and and buggy, between automobiles, between a bicycle, uh, between a train, Uh, a a boat or a battleship. There's a distinctive difference between an airplane and any other form of transportation. And the difference comes because uh, all of these other forms of transportation, they can come to a standstill, can't they? And there's no danger. They can even put it in reverse and back up, and there's no danger provided nothing's behind them, right? You can't do that in an airplane. When you're in the air, you can't say, let's just, uh, let's just turn the engines off and stop for a while. Uh, you can't say, hey, uh, I don't, I, I'm, I'm a little off course. I think I'm going to back this plane up in the air. Uh, you can't do that, right? Because the only successful way for a plane to travel is in forward motion and upward motion. 
That's true of the Christian too, isn't it? We have to live in forward and upward motion because if we stop or if we begin to slip and go backwards, at that moment we are in in danger of crashing spiritually. And the only way that we can live in forward motion is by walking in the power of the Holy Spirit and living by the revelation that the the Spirit of God in us provides to us. So today I want to show you five things that the Holy Spirit reveals, um, the revelation uh, of the Holy Spirit. Note again, verse 10, these are the things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, he says. So these things out of the text are things that God reveals to us through his Holy Spirit operating uh, in us. What are they? Well, first of all, in verses 6 and 7, we see that the Spirit reveals the wisdom of God. The Spirit reveals the wisdom of God. He says in verse 6, he says, we, we, uh, uh, to the mature, he says, we impart uh, the uh, wisdom, the wisdom that comes from God. And then uh, in verse uh, 7, he says it is a secret and a hidden wisdom from God, which God had decreed before the ages even began. Now, Paul makes clear that the wisdom of God, you see, then is distinctly different from the wisdom of this world. The word in the Greek uh, for world or age, depending on what your translation says, is a Greek word that means the period of time that you are living in. And so here uh, is, is uh, Paul is saying, the wisdom of the age that you're living in must not direct your life. Why? Because he says it is doomed. He says that in verse 6, this kind of wisdom is a destructive kind of, uh, a, a no future kind of wisdom. It is doomed. And the wisdom of the world and of the world's leaders is here today and it's gone tomorrow. Uh, Man's ideas about God and even man's ideas about truth are going to fade and pass away almost as quickly as a man himself does. Because the wisdom of this age is not going to last. It isn't lasting. It's not stable. It is not reliable. And that's why you don't build your, your life on the wisdom of this world. Now, what does the Bible say about the wisdom of the world? Well, I got to thinking about it as I was working on this message, and I thought, I'm going to look up some passages on the wisdom of the world, and there are far too many for me to share with you, but let me give you just a few, just a sampling. The wisdom of the world, what does the Bible say about it? Well, in Romans 1, verse 22, it says, claiming to be wise, they became fools. In 1 Corinthians 1, just a chapter back, uh, in verse 19, it says, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. If you go over just a chapter to 1 Corinthians 3, verses 19 and 20, the Scripture says, For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, He catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise of this world that they are futile. And then Paul writes in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 8 and says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy, that's the wisdom of the world, and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. That's just a sampling of what the Bible says about the wisdom of the world. Now listen, the Bible essentially says this about the wisdom of the world. Don't bank on it. Don't build your life on it. 
The Bible never has anything that I can find that encourages you to live your life by the wisdom of the world. There's no scripture. Every time uh, we see scripture addressing uh, the philosophy of the age in which you live, and it's always been that way through all the ages, the wisdom or philosophy of the world, the Bible never speaks affirmatively of it. It never says, now here's where the world's got us beat. Or, or here's where the world has a little more wisdom than God. It never says that. It just tells us it's all, there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it is the way of death or the way of destruction. And so the Bible never affirms that. One of the most destructive attachments in many Christians' life, however, is their devotion to the wisdom of the world, uh, to their acceptance of worldly philosophies and what Paul called the empty deceits. If I listen to me, listen very carefully. Too many Christians are being shaped by the world's ideas rather than the word's ideas. Too many Christians today are being shaped by the ideas of the world instead of the ideas of God's word. If you want to know why you are seeing some of the chaos you're seeing in this culture, this explains it. The wisdom of the world, which is doomed, And too many Christians, here's what is a tragic thing to me. And it's why Paul's writing to these Corinthians. There are a lot of Christians that are building their life on that wisdom. They're religious. They uh, they believe in God, but they're building their life and they're adjusting their life and they're letting the world tell them how to live their life. And then God gets the leftover, but that's exactly backwards. Too many Christians have adopted the world's view on creation. It's amazing to me how many Christians today uh, believe that we got here as a product of evolution, that we're the result of some prehistoric soup full of amino acids that lightning struck and out of it crawled a creature. Someone wrote a book years ago called From Goo to, to You by Way of the Zoo. It's insane how many Christians can't say there is a creator. And by the way, if you don't have a creator, nothing else, if you can't trace yourself back to the creator God, then you can make your own rules up. I wish I need to preach a whole message on that sometime. They've adopted the world's view on creation. They've adopted the world's view on sexuality. That's why nobody is willing outside of God's word and those who stand by to stand up and say, God has defined male and female. God has defined what marriage is. But there are a lot of Christians today who have bought into the world's ideas and say, well, you know, let them decide. Let a child decide what they are. By the way, you can always answer that question real quick. But let them decide. Parents that are, parents that are allowing their children uh, are, and even leading them in that way. And listen, it's an abomination to God. God's already defined sexuality. And God has already defined marriage. In the garden, they were Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. God's already defined it. But yet, many Christians are swallowing this stuff. Because they say, who am I to tell someone who they can love? This isn't about love. We've allowed the world to infiltrate our thinking. And by the way, I don't know if you read my column, but you need to read today's column. 
Because if you want to know why we are where we are today, you read my column about worldviews. Because this is all about worldviews. And tragically, too many Christians have adjusted their view of what right and wrong by allowing the world to tell them what it is instead of the Word of God. So they've adopted the world's view on creation. They've adopted the world's view on sexuality. They've adopted the world's view on success. I'm, I'm, for all, I'm all for being successful, but do you know that the world's view of success and the world's view of success are two different things? You know what the, the, the Word of God says? It says, he that would be greatest among you, let him be servant of all. Uh, we've adopted the world's view on success. We've adopted the world's view on, on God himself. Uh, there are now so many conflicting definitions of who God is. Why? Because we've let the world say, well, I, this is my view. Okay, well, you have a right to your view, and you have a right to your view, and you have a right to you. You, you do realize that there is, uh, there is truth, not many truth. There, there's truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth. That's a definite article. It doesn't mean I'm one of many. It means I'm it. There's truth. And, well, many have adopted the world's view on God. They've adopted the world's view on morality. They've adopted the world's view on power. On and on it can go. Note verse 8. Look at verse 8 with me. None of the rulers of this age understood this. They still don't, by the way. Uh, none of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. It's that kind of worldly wisdom that results in rejection of the, the truth. And it was that kind of worldly wisdom 2,000 years ago that caused them to crucify Christ. You see, when we're not under the leadership of the Holy Spirit and under His wisdom, we can't see this, the world spiritually, and we can't see it very clearly. And when we're not under the leadership of the Spirit, and this is how Christians get off path, and this is how Christians buy into worldly ideas and empty deceit and philosophy, as Paul's talking about, because when you're not being led by the Spirit, you cannot clearly hear the truth of God. And we cannot comprehend what God has prepared for us. But life in the Spirit, when we walk in the Spirit, all of that all of that, because it changes, because the Spirit of God reveals to us what real wisdom is, what real truth is, so that we can understand the ways of God. And that leads me to the second thing I want you to see. The Spirit reveals the depths of God. Verse 10, the Spirit reveals the depths. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, listen, even the depths of God. One of the reasons that God gives us His Spirit to reside in us is so that we can understand Him and know, be, uh, know Him beyond the surface. Francis Chan, in his book, Forgotten God, Reversing Our Tragic Neglect of the Holy Spirit, has written this. He says, if you are having trouble recounting a time when the Spirit of God was at work in or around you, perhaps that is because you have been ignoring the Spirit. Perhaps it is because you have a lot of head knowledge about the Spirit, but not much of a relationship with Him. Listen, apart from the Holy Spirit's operation in your life, you will live on the spiritual surface when it comes to knowing God. 
Let me tell you a little bit about, the, uh, about that kind of Christianity, surface Christianity. It doesn't go, it doesn't plumb the depths of God or the depths of maturity. Let me tell you a little bit about surface Christianity. Surface Christianity knows about God, generally speaking. It can even, it can even talk a little bit about the nature of God. It, it, it knows a little theology, but it's all general. It's all, it's all surface stuff. It, it confesses belief in God. Uh, a surface Christianity doesn't deny the existence of God. It doesn't even deny uh, uh, their need for God. It just never goes beyond the surface. It never goes beyond, well, I heard about uh, a little boy who kept falling out of bed every night. He'd, get, he'd go to sleep and he'd fall out of bed, clump into the floor. And, and um, his dad finally said to him, uh, son, why do you think you keep falling out of bed? And he says, because I'm sleeping too close to the getting in place. You know, there are a lot of Christians and that's who, who they are. They're, they're still right on the edge of where they got in. Surface, they, they can confess belief in God, but that's about it. A surface kind of Christianity recognizes the power of God, but it has little or no personal experience with God's power. And Paul wrote about that. He talked about those who uh, uh, had a, a surface kind of faith, and he said of them, but they were not experiencing the very power of God. Denying the power thereof, he said. It can recognize the power of God, but has little or no personal experience with God's power. Surface Christianity can speak the language of following God. You say, what do you mean the language? You know, there's a, there's a lot of different languages in the world, right? There's also Christianese. You know, Christianese knows how to say things like, Jesus is Lord. God bless you. Just trust God, brother or sister. Now, I'm not against any of those. Those are great statements when they're genuinely spoken. God bless you. Jesus is Lord. Just trust him. Nothing wrong with any of those statements, but the point is, these are, are often Christian cliches because they are not the genuine products of knowing God deeply. Life in the Spirit has to lead us beyond the surface and reveal to us the depths of God. And I think nothing illustrates that better than an iceberg. You know, when ships are out at sea, it's not unusual in the North Atlantic for captains to see icebergs floating in the water, moving against the current. Now get that picture. This iceberg is moving against the current, or so it appears, even if the wind is blowing in an opposite direction. And you know what uh, they tell us the reason for that is? It is because all you're seeing is 10% of the iceberg when you see it. 90% of it is under the water, and it's being uh, moved about by what's happening below the surface. And we have technology today, you know, that can tell us they can get out there and they can see the 10% on top and they can tell us actually how massive uh, an iceberg is. But they didn't have that technology, for example, when the unsinkable Titanic sunk. And that's what happened. They only saw what was on the surface. They didn't realize how deep uh, and beyond the surface was the iceberg. An iceberg is the way we need to think when we think about spiritual maturity. And, and the surface stuff is important, but the surface 
should be shaped by what is below the surface. The primary work of the Spirit is below the surface. It's the internal work of the Spirit. It has external fruit. We'll talk about that in messages to come. And it reveals to us, he says, the deep things of God. That's the below the surface things. Now, if you want to understand the depths of God, you're going to have to let the Spirit of God control you. And it may be that you have to begin by saying, God, give me a desire to desire to go deeper with you. But I will tell you this, as you begin to surrender your life and, and the control of your life to the Spirit, you go deeper with God and you'll want to go even deeper. I love the story of, of um, Moses in Exodus. Remember when he said, now listen, he had had, Moses had had a few encounters with God. What do you think? Moses had seen the, the power of God. You think? Moses had come into the presence of God in the burning bush. Remember? You think that would change your life? Well, the same God he came, encounter, uh, came in contact with is the same God that you and I have the opportunity to go deeper with. Listen to this. You, there's my, one of my favorite uh, parts of Mo Moses' stories. When he he was uh, on the mountain, and he said, God, let me see you that I might know you. Y'all remember that story? God, let me see you that I might know you. And God said, you can't see me because no man can see me and live. And Moses, but Moses' statement was, God, let me see you that I might know you. Isn't a statement of, I don't know who you are. It is a statement of, God, I'm not content where I am. There's more of you, and I want to know everything I can about you. And so he says, I, I would, let me, and he's already been serving God for a long, long time. And he's already seen the miraculous and he's already seen the power and he's experienced the presence of God. I mean, he's been in the tabernacle when the cloud would descend and, you know, he's already been in the presence of God, but it, still he says, God, there's more of you that I want to go deeper and deeper and deeper. Do you have that desire? And by the way, you know the story, how it works out. God says, no man can see me and live. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put you in a hollowed out place in the rock. And what I'll do, Moses, because you want to know me and God honored that. God always honored that. You will seek me with all your heart. And when you do, you will find me. I will be found by you, God told Israel in Jeremiah. He wants you to want to know him deeper and better. And so he said to Moses, but Moses, what you're asking for, I'm not going to do, but I am going to give you a glimpse of me on a level you've never had before. And so uh, I'm going to put you in the hollowed out place. And, and while you're there, I will put my hand. Can you imagine the hand of God being your shield? He says, I'm going to shield you with my hand and I'm going to pass by. And when I do, I'll take my hand away and you can see my, me from the back. Wow. And once again, Moses goes to a new place. When he came down the mountain, he had to wear a veil. Why did he have to wear a veil? You know why he had to wear a veil? Because just the reflected glory of the back of God was so great in its presence on Moses that had Moses not worn a veil down, those who saw him would most certainly have died by seeing the glory of God resonating off of him. You say, yeah, that's Moses. Moses wasn't a perfect man. We're not perfect people, but we can go deeper with God, deeper with God. God, will you take me deeper? Well, let me move on. The third thing I want you to see is that the Spirit reveals the free gifts of God. 
Verse 12, now we have received not the spirit of the world, that's a small s, the spirit of the world, that, that means the wisdom, philosophies of the age, but the spirit who is from God that we might understand the things freely given us by God. A person that doesn't know God doesn't comprehend just how valuable and precious are the gifts that are associated with their salvation. See, if you don't know God, you have no appreciation for what his salvation and his gifts mean. The word given there is the word charizomai. It is a derivative of the Greek word charis, which is also the word from which we chose our daughter's name. And it means literally to receive favor from God. It means the gift of God. It means the blessing of God. Now, what is the gifts that he's referring to here? Well, most likely, it's the mercy of God. It's the love of God. It's the patience of God. It's the forgiveness of God. It's eternal life. All of these are gracious gifts from God. But particularly in view here is the gracious salvation that results the gracious salvation that God has willingly favored us with. Do you know if the Spirit of God has pricked your heart and caused you to respond and accept Christ, that God has favored you greatly? Charisma, He has given you something. And only the Holy Spirit can reveal to us just how significant our salvation is. Now, people say this sometimes, well, I decided to give God a chance. No, you didn't. You'd never give God a chance if God hadn't given you a chance. The Bible says this, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. That's what makes our salvation all the more present, is that God moves upon our life and gives us the opportunity to accept his gracious gift or to reject it. The fact is, the Spirit reveals our condition and our need for God. He moves us toward salvation, and then after we are saved, listen to this, He moves us toward salvation. He moves us to the place where we can accept or reject that. But after we have uh, received our salvation, then the Holy Spirit is still at work. He is now inside of us, and he helps us understand how precious our gift of salvation is. And we don't see that until we're saved. That's why, you know, a person that that doesn't know Christ, they don't go, salvation is such a precious thing. They don't see it, right? Because it is the Spirit that reveals this incredible gift from God. And so that's why, by the way, never never get angry at a lost person for acting lost. That's why sometimes, you know, you'll hear the Word of God and you'll know somebody say, boy, they need to hear that. I, I have somebody in my family, they need to hear that. If they heard that... But listen, apart from the work of the Spirit moving them in response to the Word of God, and they may need to hear those things, and the Spirit of God may use those things, but sometimes you'll, have you ever been in a place and you've heard something say, oh, I hope they, I hope they got that. Yes, you have, haven't you? All of us have done that. Boy, they need that, and a lot of times God may be saying, you need it worse than they do, but but you've been there, you think, you're thinking, boy, I hope they heard that. And you even try to start a conversation about it. You ever done that with somebody? They heard a message or something, you thought, this is the perfect message, this is just right, this is what I wanted them to hear, or, uh, uh, this is what I wanted, and you start talking to them about it, and they just, they, they don't even give a holy grunt in response. And you're going to go, how did they miss that? 
that was so clear, it doesn't make sense to them. Why? Because, because one of two things, either the Spirit is not moving them, or they have rejected the move of the Spirit. And so, what he says here, it is the Spirit after we get saved that helps us understand how precious our salvation is. I want to tell you, every time you pray, you ought to say, thank you that you saved me, Jesus. Thank you that you saved me. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you that you saved me. Your gracious gift to me. Then number four, I want you to see the Spirit reveals the spiritual truths of God, he says. In verse 13, and we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but look at this, but taught by the Spirit interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The spiritual person not only lives in the Spirit, they also learn by the Spirit. And that's what Paul's saying in verse 13. Without the Spirit of God, you can never understand the truths of God. Don't miss that, without the Spirit. Did you know uh, uh, holy men spake as they were moved by God? That's how we got the Scripture, the Bible says. We call it inspiration. It is the idea of the Holy Spirit moving upon the authors of Scripture. The Spirit moved upon them. Now listen, here's why I tell you that. The the Holy Spirit is the author of Scripture. So if the Holy Spirit is the author of Scripture class, does he have the capacity to cause it and interpret it in a way that we can understand it? To ask that question is to answer it, isn't it? Jesus said in John 16, 13, I've already shared a message. Go back and get that if you have it. When the Spirit of truth comes, when the Spirit of truth comes... He will guide you into all the truth, definite article. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. The Spirit of God is our teacher. And if we, if we will uh, give him control, if we will walk in him, he will be our tutor regarding the truths of God. How will he do that? Well, He'll make God's Word meaningful to you. Do you struggle with your Bible? You, you don't have to indicate that here. It's just a, a rhetorical question. Do you struggle with your Bible? Do you, do you at times say, man, if this, I just wish it made more sense. Well, there are a lot of practical things you can do. For example, get a, a good, and not all translations are good, but get a good, reliable translation that will help uh, that will help you understand a little more clearly in language that uh, is more uh, suited to, um, to the way we speak. And those things. Get, get a Bible. Help you. But, but listen, the greatest tool to help you understand the Scripture is the Holy Spirit. That's why you've done this before. I, I assume you've been reading the Scripture, Reggie, reading a passage you've read a hundred times, and then all of a sudden you read it and go, huh? Revelation. You ever done that? It jumps out and you say, that wasn't in there last time I read it. That's what it feels like anyway, right? It is the revelation. The Spirit of God, who is the author of the Word of God, is interpreting the truth of God so you can understand it. The greatest, and that's, look, if for no other reason, there are so many, of course, but if for no other reason, you ought to walk in the power of the Spirit. You ought to yield control to Him just so you can say, I want to know what God wants. I'll tell you another way the Spirit of God will tutor you. He will use your circumstances to teach you God's ways. He'll give you insight into to what is going on. You know, the Bible says in Romans 8, 28, that God uses all things, that he, he can use all things 
uh, for good. He can turn the things, even the things propagated by the enemy, the prince and power of this world. God can turn them and use them for your your good. He can help teach you his ways through your circumstances. Now, I didn't just say that he will always give you an explanation. But if you will allow his spirit to operate in you, what he will do, he may not give you uh, uh, always uh, 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 an explanation for your circumstances, but he will use them to give you an education. He'll say, I'll take this and we'll use this and this is going to, I'm going to teach you with this. Another way that he is our tutor is that he will teach us how to recognize his voice. He'll speak to us and we'll begin to learn his voice. I love this. I, I, I love it. By the way, this coming Wednesday, we're going up to uh, see uh, our grandson and celebrate a belated um, birthday, his uh, second uh, birthday. Uh, it happened to occur during Alice and I's uh, bout with COVID, so we didn't get to go. So we're going up uh, for about three days. I'll be back next Sunday to share God's Word with you, but uh, we're going up Wednesday. But one of the things I love now is he is old enough that he recognizes my voice. He calls me Pops. 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 And my daughter sent a video this past week of him. Uh, he'll, decide, he'll see her phone and he'll say, call Pops. Call Pops. Call Pops. And she sent me a video of, she said, he just went off. He saw my phone and she said, I started recording it. And he's coming to the phone and saying, call Pops. Call Pops. Call Pops. He recognizes my voice. Everybody wants to know that somebody recognizes their voice, right? But we especially need to be able to hear the voice of God. How do you learn a voice? You learn a voice by communication, by being around a person, by listening to them talk and talk, and you learn to recognize their voice. My surrender uh, to the, the leadership of the Spirit of God in, in my life makes me sensitive and enables me to hear his voice more clearly. Let me give you a personal example. About uh, two weeks ago, in the middle of the night, I love what the psalmist says. I've told you this before, but he said he counsels me in the night watches. And a couple of weeks ago, the Spirit of God woke me up in the middle of the night. I have a place on my leg, and the Spirit of God, I'm telling you, he whispered in my heart and said, you get that checked. And I knew it, and it was strong the next morning. When I went back to sleep, and the next morning I got up, and it was still resonating. You get that checked. You get that checked. Now, so you know, a little background. Uh, I have had uh, melanoma surgery. I've also had two what they call squamous cell surgeries, which they do a process where they, they, a surgical process where they keep going, keep going, keep cutting until they get margins that are all clear. I've had that twice on um, uh, one of my calves. And uh, uh, so I go to a dermatologist pretty frequently. Uh, she sets me up about six months for a checkup if I'm doing good, if everything looks good. I'm doing it. So we keep an eye on all of these things. And uh, so I had just been in there a few weeks ago for my six-month checkup, and uh, everything looked good. And, uh, and so uh, I thought, well, great. I thought I had been working in the yard. I, I know that surprises people that preachers actually get out and do work other than 
pastoral stuff, but I was working in my yard. And, I, um, and this is some months ago. I kind of tore a spot in my leg, and uh, I didn't think much of it, and didn't even think much of it when I went to see her. So here I am a month or so out from having seen her, and in the middle of the night, the Spirit of God says, have that, have that place checked. I said, well, it's just a sore that, from working in the yard. But I thought, um, I'm going to listen to the Spirit of God. I called. I went in. This past week, I went in. Uh, they hacked on it so they could biopsy it, and sure enough, it's squamous cell cancer again. And I'll have the surgical procedure. It's not a... It's not a big, big surgical procedure or anything, but it is a procedure, and I'll have that. Uh, the day before my birthday uh, uh, happens. Now, I only tell you that. Tell you, I, I, by the way, I'm not, I've, I've been down this road, so I, I know how that stuff works. And it could be very serious down the road, you know, if you don't deal with it. And everything. But here's what I want to say to you. The Spirit of God woke me up and said, do this. Now, I don't think it's because I had bad pizza the night before. I think it was the Spirit of God. In fact, I know it was the Spirit of God. Because He speaks to us. And I know how to recognize His voice. I haven't always. But I know. I've learned to say, that's, that's God. That's not pizza. That's God. And then let me tell you why, what else he'll do. He'll teach you how to know truth from error and right from wrong. Listen, the more you fellowship with him, the more he develops in you the knowledge of what is truth, what is uh, true, what is false, what is wrong, and what is right. And that comes from fellowship and allowing him to have ownership of our lives. My column today Again, I said, if you haven't read it, I, I want you to read it because one of the many worldviews that I mentioned that is popular today is a very destructive worldview. It's called postmodernism. And one of its primary tenets is that truth is relative. Each person gets to determine their truth and that there are no absolutes. By the way, if anybody ever tells you there's no absolutes, I did this with a guy one time. He was a college student. He thought he was smarty britches. And he said to me, he said, well, you're, you're speaking in absolute truths. And he said, there are no absolutes. <laughs> I said, are you absolutely certain? <laughs> and he had to stop and think for a second. Because when he said there are no absolutes, guess what he was doing, class? He gave me an absolute. That's an absolute. And I said, there are some absolutes, but they don't come out of your brain. They don't come out of my brain. They came out of God's brain. It's called his word. That is a, what we call a transcendent source of truth. You know what a transcendent source? Listen, this is very important for you because if you want to know what's going on in our world right now, read my column. And we need a transcendent source of truth. Our world says, I get to determine truth. And I get to make up my own. If I don't like yours, I'll make up my own. That's postmodernism. But a transcendent source of truth means, and by the way, all the, uh, uh, all the, the ideas of postmodernism come from our brains. It's also a kind of humanism and relativism and all of this stuff. But, but a transcendent source of truth says it's not your opinion, it's not your opinion, it's not even my opinion. We've got to have somebody outside of the human spectrum, and that's God. 
So by the way, that's why your origin is so important, because if you just evolved, then the case could be made that there was no creator. If there's no creator, he has, there, there's no transcendent source of truth. Are y'all tracking with me? That's why that's important. And the Spirit of God is the one who takes the truths of God and educates us. And you can be sure of something, that if the worldview of the world has more effect on your values and your choices and what you believe, then the Word of God, you are not living life in the Spirit. Did y'all get that? I'm almost finished, but just hang on. You can be certain if the worldview that you have you may not even think of that, but if, if, if the worldview of this world, whichever one it may be, has more effect on your choices and what you believe is valuable and is true than God's Word, then you are not living in the life of the Spirit. You say, well, how can you make that kind of statement? Well, I can tell you how. Because the Spirit of God will never lead you contrary to the Word of God. So the Spirit of God is not going to let you, uh, or lead you, I should say. He will let you, but He's not going to lead you to follow a worldview that is contrary to the Word of God. And the worldview of the world will always lead you, listen, contrary to the way of God and to the will of God, and always lead you contrary to the Word of God. How do I know? I'm glad you ask. Because 1 John chapter 2, 15 through 17, this is a transcendent standard. God is the author. The Spirit is the author. This is what is written in 1 John chapter 2. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world, and the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. That there is enough to remind us that the worldview of the world is contrary to the ways of God. All right, that's why we must walk in the Spirit so that He can reveal the truths of God. And here's the last thing, and I close. The last thing is this, verse 14, I want you to see the Spirit's revelation has divine limitations. Verse 14, look at it, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly, or they're foolishness to him, and he is, look, here's the operative phrase, he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Again, I ask you this question. Have you ever wondered why some people just don't get spiritual stuff? They just don't get it. Listen, even people that are religious, they just don't get the spiritual truth, the spiritual stuff. Why is that? It's because either they have no relationship with God, they are the natural man, or they are so out of fellowship with God that their hearts have become cold and hard, and they've lost their first love, and so the Spirit of God is not influencing them. Recently, I read about uh, Dr. R.G. Lee. He 
uh, pastored, of course, of Bellevue, the great Bellevue Baptist Church for several decades in Memphis, and he was a, a godly man and, and, and much beloved, and he was uh, also known for his uh, unflinching loyalty to God's Word. When he preached, he would not, he wouldn't flinch. Uh, he, he was never known to, to back up or to water down the Word of God. And on one particular occasion, he preached a, a strong, a very strong and powerful message on, on sin. I, and there was a lady in the, in the uh, congregation, and his message ruffled her fur. It just rubbed her the wrong way. She didn't like it a bit. And um, uh, when she was leaving the building, she was angry uh, at Dr. Lee for preaching the message he had preached. And as he was at the door and she was leaving to go out the door, she came up to him and said, Dr. Lee, <laughs> I didn't like that sermon one little bit. And without a pause, he replied to her, he said, Madam, neither did the devil, so classify yourself. <laughs> now, I close this way. I want to help you do that very thing this morning. I want to help you classify yourself. You'll notice in in verses 13 and 14, and then the passage we read in, in chapter 3, Paul speaks of three classifications. He talks about the natural people, verses 13 and 14. Remember the natural people? He talks about that in chapter 3 too. I couldn't speak to you as spiritual, but as, um, as a natural man. The natural person. That's the person, might be incredibly religious, but they're just not saved. They have no relationship with God. They are natural. And that's why he says in verse 14, the things of the Spirit don't make any sense to them because they are spiritually discerned. In other words, the Spirit of God has to interpret them to you. The Spirit of God inside of you uh, makes sense of them. And so there is the natural people. Then he speaks of the spiritual people, those who do have the Spirit of God. They are saved. They have the Spirit operating in them. And so they can discern the truths of God. And then he speaks in chapter 3 of the carnal people. So those are the three classifications, the natural people, the spiritual people, the carnal people. And the carnal people, you say, aren't they the same as the natural people? No, but oftentimes God has to deal with them like he deals with the natural person, the person that doesn't know him. The carnal person, if they're legitimately carnal and just not a lost person, the carnal person is the one we used to call it in Baptist life, backslidden. They're just backslidden. Y'all have heard that term before, haven't you? I tell you, I've heard about people that have been backslidden for 30 years. I want to tell you, they weren't backslidden, they were lost. But Paul is addressing that, that, that category too, carnal. They're saved, but they're in, not in fellowship with God, so the Spirit of God is not operating resides in them, but has no authority. They've restricted the freedom of the Spirit in their life. And so there are three classes. And I can tell you here this morning, all of us, every one of us, are in one of those three categories. You're either the spiritual person, the Spirit of God is ruling in your life and, and taking you forward, or you are the natural person. You say, I've got a lot of religion in me, and I think religion is good, and everybody needs religion, but that's about the extent of it in my life religion, natural person, or I just reject God altogether. 
Or you're carnal. You say, well, yeah, I used to be more sensitive to God, but you know, I've kind of settled down. <laughs> I told you about, I had, a, I had an aunt, she's dead now, and um, I trust she's in heaven. But I've told you about this several times over the 19 years I've been your pastor. She used to tell my mother, you need to calm him down. He's a fanatic. And uh, he's, he's, uh, he's going to become a religious nut. That's what she used to tell my mom. Thank God my mom had enough sense to just leave me alone and let the Spirit of God do its work in my life. But I'll tell you, my, she was right about one thing. I am a fanatic. And I'm a nut for God. And I'm okay with that. I'm glad for that. What are you? Pray with me. Father, uh, Lord, <clears throat> would you speak into our hearts, those who are watching, those in this room, Father, about the preciousness of knowing you, salvation, that gift that you have given to us as our passage talks about. And I pray right now for those who are the natural people that are watching or in this building that today you would move in their hearts. And if you're watching or sitting in this with heads bowed and eyes closed, would, could I just encourage you to do something? If you say, I, I think I'm just religious, but I want to be related to God. I'd like to receive Christ as my Savior so the Spirit of God can inhabit me and lead me. Would you just offer a prayer from your heart to God that goes something like this? Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for my sins. I know I'm a sinner. I know I need you. I don't need religion. I need you. And I invite you right now to come into my life and to save me and to be my Lord and my master. Lord, there are others in the classification. They're spiritual and they're, they're, they have a hunger and a desire for you, God, and I pray that you'll only increase that and deepen that, God. Help them to hear your voice, to obey the prompts of your Holy Spirit and follow you in everything. Lord Jesus, I pray for those who, who are indeed backslidden, They've just drifted away from you. And so the Spirit is not active. It resides, but it's just not active in their life, not directing and moving them because they have restricted His direction. Help them today to say, Lord, I'm coming back to the way, the truth, and the life. Father, speak. We're listening, but help us go beyond listening to obedience. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. If you would look with me this way before we're gone, to those of you who are joining us by live stream, maybe you prayed that prayer to trust Christ as your Savior. I couldn't tell you uh, that, that there's anything more important than what you've done. We'd like to help you get that new relationship uh, headed in the right direction. And so I want to invite you, you'll see information on the screen. Chase will be talking to you about it. Hang on for all of that kind of information. But you can text the word PASTOR, P-A-S-T-O-R, to this number, 334-384-8080. You'll see that on your screens. And I would urge you to text this word PASTOR, and we'll know what that means. We'll take it from there. Don't worry about it. We're not going to harass you. 
We're just going to follow up with you, a couple of questions, get you some material to help you grow. Maybe this morning you said, I need a church home. I'm going back to church. I, I need a church home, and I want Ridgecrest to be that church home. Would you just text the word JOIN? And we'll, again, we'll take it from there. We'll get information about, uh, for, uh, from you to make you a part of our congregation, and uh, we'd love for that to happen. Many people are doing that. We're hearing every week about people that are connecting and joining our congregation. I can't wait till we all get back together again because when we do, we're going to have a lot of new family members, and I'm thrilled by it. And maybe you'd like to be one of our family members. Uh, just text the word JOIN. To the number on your screen. You can do that right here too in this building. Or you can take your worship folder. You'll see a tear-off panel in there and you can make your decision to join. Maybe you need to be baptized. Whatever it is, you can text that to us or just fill out that uh, little tab, tear it off, and drop it in the offering baskets as you leave the building today. I'm so glad you've been here. I hope you've been encouraged by the Word of God and life in the Spirit. And uh, when you walk out, Say, Lord, let me walk out in the power of the Spirit.